After 43 years as the principal clarinetist of the Charlotte Symphony, Jean Cavadlo is retiring. Jean's had a great and interesting career as a musician and an educator, and it's really nice to have him joining us today to talk about that. So 43 years at the Charlotte Symphony, can you believe that? Well, it's hard to believe. It went pretty fast, actually. It, it did? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and before you came to Charlotte, just so people have a little bit of your background, you were actually with the Jacksonville Correct. Symphony in Florida. Yes. So how many yes. years total as a symphony musician for you? Well, I was in Jacksonville for three years. I had the same position there as I have here, principal clarinet. As a principal clarinetist, I've had a 46-year career, and I had a career as a music educator, which I still do, but started my career as a music educator right out of college, and I did that for four years. If you add up all those numbers, it's 50 years at this point. Wow. Well, let's talk a little bit about that, starting out as a a, a teacher. Yeah. In a, it was a primary school, secondary it, school? Well, it was a, a school district on Long Island. Okay. The uh, school district was Manhasset, which was a, uh, a very nice area of Long Island. It was a small school district, and I was an itinerant music t- teacher. I traveled between three schools. I had uh, two elementary schools, and there was a combined junior high school, senior high school, which was the third school. And I traveled uh, between all those schools and had students in each school and had a band in each school. Sounds busy. It was busy, but it was a good job. I really enjoyed it. I was the woodwind specialist. So that suit me very well. Well, it's interesting to me because a lot of you do hear about people leaving teaching a lot of times for more security, better pay, um, and leaving teaching to become a symphony musician sounds to me a little bit like a gamble. Well, you're exactly right. Uh, I did exactly the opposite of all those things. I had, like I said, I had a very good job, teaching job. And it did have the security. It did have good pay at the time. I guess I was anxious to try my hand at a performing career. And that opportunity presented itself. And uh, my wife was in the same situation as I was. She was teaching in the public school system on Long Island in, in, in the community of Hicksville. And uh, she she had a tougher job than I did, actually. She was in charge of the all the instruments, strings, winds, brass, percussion, she did it all. But uh, the two of us had this opportunity to get jobs with the Jacksonville Symphony, and we said, well, what the heck, let's let's do this, let's grab this opportunity, give this a shot, and see how it works out. And we did. So we, uh, we left our teaching jobs in New York. We left with a, a kind of a backup plan because we each got a year's leave of absence from our teaching jobs, fortunately. And uh, at the end of that year, we had to make the decision as to whether or not to return. And we decided after a year that even though we had cut our salaries in half, we felt that the quality of our lives was better. In Jacksonville, playing in the symphony, doing what we loved, and still doing some teaching. And uh, we cut the tie. We cut the ties to New York and uh, decided that this 
was where we wanted to be. We wanted to be with the symphony. And so what was it about being a symphony musician that appealed to you so much, that made you decide, I'm going to take this risk, I'm going to cut my salary in half and do this? Yeah, yeah. I think it was just the love of uh, playing the clarinet, making music, and performing, which was something that I was doing a little bit of in New York, but not as much as I wanted to do. And here I had the opportunity in Jacksonville to really focus on my playing and on my performing. And uh, I remember sitting in, in the orchestra in the Jacksonville Symphony during my first year, and it was in a rehearsal, and as we were rehearsing, I was thinking to myself, I'm really loving this. I'm really enjoying what I'm doing, and this is what I want to do. That's the mindset that kind of... I guess you could say, motivated me to make that uh, big career move. And I remember very, very well at the end of that first year when it came decision time. And I either had to cut the tie with New York or move back to my old teaching job. I wrote a letter to the uh, superintendent of schools in Manhasset where I was teaching. And it was a really heartfelt letter. And I, I explained to him what my goals were, what my feelings were, how much I appreciated working in the schools, but that my first love was with performing. I had a, a lot of trepidation about putting that letter into the mailbox. <laughs> I bet. <laughs> but I did. And I got a very, very nice letter back saying that he understood and wished me well in my career. And uh, I never looked back. It strikes me that a lot of uh, musicians like yourself are also kind of entrepreneurial, and that's how they make it work out as well. You, I think you you're teach. right. Yeah, yeah. You take yeah. on projects, you know. Right. Yeah, I think that most of us who perform with the symphony orchestra do it because we do love it. The money is not the primary uh, motivating factor, obviously, but I feel very fortunate. My, my wife and I together have been able, with our combined salaries, to live very comfortably in Charlotte. Like I said, I've never looked back. My, my kids were raised in Charlotte. They got good educations. And uh, I think that we've had a very good quality of life here in Charlotte, and I'm not, I don't have one complaint about it. So that's why I say I think we've been very fortunate. Well, what are some of the, when you think back over your time in Charlotte um, as, as the principal clarinet, working with how many conductors? Four or five? Uh, at least. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. What are some of the highlights for you? What are your fondest memories? For me, certainly one of the highlights was uh, not too long ago, about I think it was two or three years ago, when we performed a piece that was actually arranged for me to perform with the orchestra on one of our Night Sounds programs. There was a program that they called A Night in New York. And on that program, we did the Rhapsody in Blue. And we also did the piece that was performed by me and arranged for me uh, called Klezmer Dances for Clarinet strings, percussion, and tuba. (laughs) 
And it was a set of five dances that were arranged in a kind of a, a suite in a klezmer style. And it was very, very well received. And it got a, just a, a wild standing ovation. People were, were loving it. And, of course, I was loving it. So it was, it was a highlight for me. And I have to say that uh, I have to give a lot of credit to our music director, Christopher Warren Green, because we, we talked a great deal about doing this piece. And he agreed to go ahead with the project without ever hearing a note of the music. Well, this is probably a good time to mention that, you know, you have had Viva Klezmer, which is a right. Klezmer group for, ooh, my math is bad, 30-some well, 30, 30 years. Yeah, we, we started that group in 1984. So it's been, yeah, it's been over 30 years. And uh, it's a, a quartet that specializes in klezmer music. And the quartet consists of myself on clarinet, my wife Allie on the violin, and Mike Mosley, who's another symphony member, plays the guitar, and Ron Brendel plays the bass. We've done a lot of performing in the southeast, uh, both Carolinas, and as far away as Georgia and Florida. And uh, it's just been a lot of fun. That's, that's a labor of love for me as well. Yeah, I haven't seen you recently, but I do remember uh, many years ago you would come to WDAV and perform for the fundraisers. I think it was. We, we did. do live performances. Yes, I think uh, I think we were even invited to perform when the new studio was opened here. Uh, probably. Uh, yeah. Yeah. And you're right. It's very catchy and fun and Exactly. Yeah, it's it's lively dance music. It's it's Jewish folk music. Some people call it Jewish jazz. Right. <laughs> And uh, it's uh, just like they say, you don't have to be uh, Jewish to eat a bagel. You don't have to be Jewish to enjoy klezmer music. It's just, uh, it reaches across all boundaries. And people hear it and really love it because it's so lively and so much fun to listen to. We've, we've performed klezmer concerts in uh, quite a few of the local churches as well. And that's been a thrill. And I imagine that's a really nice compliment to having the career with the symphony. Oh, You've got it this is. small yeah, group that does a different type of music. Right. Yeah, Was that, that one of the reasons you started doing it? It or? sure is. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it, it's a whole different vibe than playing in the symphony. Uh, there's more freedom. Of course, there's no conductor, which is not the main reason we do it. But uh, we have more freedom to do what we want to do and how we want to do it. And that's a, a big part of the fun. Back to the symphony for a second. Sure. I'm just wondering, because you've, you've, been, um, you've been in Charlotte for 43 years, you've got this uh, you know, extra years in Jacksonville. If, have you seen much of a change in what it's like to perform in an orchestra and be a musician in an orchestra? Or is it pretty much the same as it always was? I don't well, know. I would wonder if things evolve over that many years. I I don't think that I've seen a lot of change in terms of what it's like to perform in the symphony. I have seen a lot of change in the quality of the music and in the quality of the orchestra. When I first came to Charlotte, the orchestra had 30 full-time musicians. It was a core orchestra. And uh, that that in itself was a step up from what I had in Jacksonville. In Jacksonville, at that time, it was all per service, which meant that nobody considered it to be a full-time job. 
so the Charlotte move for us was a step up. And like I say, there were 30 full-time musicians. Uh, it was considered to be a full-time job. And over the years, of course, many more musicians were added to the roster. And I think at this point, I, I know we have over 60 full-time musicians. I think the number might be 62. And as musicians were added, the quality improved. When, uh, when people are able to make a, a full-time career out of playing in the orchestra, they have more time to devote to perfecting their art, to playing their instruments, and really devoting the time that's necessary to preparing for performances. So that in itself has made the quality improve over the years. And uh, I think most recently, we've had a lot of young musicians added to the roster. The, the young musicians are terrific players, the terrific musicians, and they've raised the bar for all of us. So it's, it's really a, a thrill and a pleasure to have them in the orchestra. Let's talk about your role as an educator a little bit and maybe transition into what you're thinking about doing now that you're retiring. I know that you have a significant project, uh, Music and the Holocaust, right. which you take to schools. If you want to talk about that a little bit. Sure. Yeah. Uh, that project started several years ago. It started as a result of a program that was brought to Charlotte called the Violins of Hope. Mm, I remember that, yes. Yeah. I, I think there was some connection to the radio station mm -hmm. at that time. And what the Violins of Hope was, was uh, an Israeli violin maker, and I'm trying to remember his, his name. It, it escapes me at the moment. But uh, he took on a project of restoring old violins that were used by Holocaust victims during the Holocaust when they were in the camps. We had some of our Charlotte Symphony musicians perform on those violins just to demonstrate uh, what they sounded like and what a good job he did of restoring these instruments. Um, so after the Violins of Hope ran its course here in the Charlotte area, we developed this, uh, this Holocaust program that we've presented in the schools. And uh, the Holocaust program has been very successful. It involves music, it involves narration, and it in involves slides, which the students can view as the narration takes place and as we present the music that we use for that program. And the music that we use for that program is, by and large, klezmer music, because we want to show the students how, even though there was an attempt during the Holocaust to destroy the Jewish people and the culture of the Jewish people, that it all survived. And the klezmer music is probably more popular today than ever. So we want to show them how this aspect of Jewish culture is still surviving and really an important aspect of culture in general. Yeah, in, in America. In America and it, worldwide. Yeah. There's, there's been a, a worldwide resurgence of klezmer, even in places where there aren't any Jewish people. Interesting. So it's, yeah, yeah. So is this a program that will continue into next year? And Hopefully so. Uh, I've uh, had indications from the symphony 
that they want to continue this program even after I retire. And uh, they have asked me if I would continue it with them, and I'm happy to do that. Absolutely. So does your experience as a teacher come in handy when you're conceptualizing this program and working on it? I think it definitely does. Talking to the students, communicating to them about what the Holocaust was, what role the music played Mm -hmm. in the Holocaust, getting across the idea that even though uh, the Holocaust happened, I guess, for them many years ago, because most of them, all of them, were not alive at that time. And we study history to, uh, to learn from history. And we emphasize to them that even though that this happened a long time ago, uh, and hopefully knowing that something is horrendous as that happened such a long time ago, we don't want to see things like that happen again, but they're still happening. And uh, we, we tell them that we hope that their generation will do a better job than our generation has done in preventing Holocausts. Well, um, so that's one thing that you can do in retirement. What else yeah. are you going to do? <laughs> uh, that's uh, <laughs> that's a tough uh, a tough question to answer. What else am I going to do? Uh, usually, I tell people I'm going to do whatever I want. <laughs> and what does that mean? Uh, there'll probably be some travel involved. Uh, there'll be a lot more time to visit my kids spend time with my, my grandson. Uh, unfortunately, they don't live too close to us. My my daughter and her family live in Brooklyn, New York. My back, son, back where you, <laughs> up your way, right? Uh, well, uh, yeah, yeah, from. yeah, you could say that. My son lives in L.A. Oh, my goodness. We have both coasts covered. Yeah. You know, working full-time, it was difficult to arrange visits. Uh, now I'll have more freedom to see them more often, which I, I'm looking forward to. Well, so it sounds like you plan to stay in Charlotte as a retired person, at least for the short term. I have no plans to leave. Yeah, I consider it my home. Uh, We're very comfortable here. We have a a very close-knit group of friends that we've cultivated over the years. I think Allie, my wife, and I are very happy here. Well, I'm glad you're going to stay. Thank you. Most of the music community is, too. Well, I appreciate that. So one more quick question. I read about these interesting hobbies you have. Uh (laughs) (laughs) Uh-oh. Installing commodes and eating world-class pastrami sandwiches. (laughs) (laughs) Will you be pursuing that? (laughs) I'll definitely be pursuing the the hot pastrami sandwiches. (laughs) I think the commodes thing was something that I put down as a joke at some point <laughs> when the symphony was giving us uh, questionnaires about what our hobbies are. And the reason I put it down was because I happened to be changing a few commodes in our house at that time. <laughs> and I had it on my mind. <laughs> but uh, as a hobby, probably not. <laughs> oh, okay. Uh, and, and as far as the pastrami goes, uh, I have to say I'm very particular about my pastrami. Well, uh, if you're from New York, you should be, because yes, yes. Okay, so can you find pastrami around here that no, suits I'm, you? No, I'm sorry, I cannot. <laughs> I'm not surprised. Uh, but there, there are certain places where I I go when I'm traveling that I feel has wor- world class pastrami that I 
look forward to uh, partaking in when I'm in those areas. And uh, that's one of the reasons I travel to those areas, in <laughs> fact. New York, Katz's Deli oh, on yes. the Lower East Side. I've had it, one. It doesn't get any better. That's that's the best. And when I'm in L.A., Cantor's Deli, which uh, is, a, is a close second to Katz's. Uh, and I'm sure there are a few others in other parts of the country that uh, I may go to just to taste the hot pastrami. <laughs> so that could be a special uh, road trip that or something. Would be, that would definitely uh, be a, an exciting trip for me, yes. Pastrami trails. Yeah, <laughs> pastrami trails. Better than pastrami entrails, yes. <laughs> um, and, it, of course, it has to be done just right. It's got to have the right spices uh, the right kind of rye bread, and very important, the right kind of spicy brown mustard. Yes. And I can only say that because I've had uh, sandwiches at Cat's twice. Oh, you have? And, yeah. I've, then you know what I'm talking about. Yeah, I've never had anything like it before or anywhere else. I mean, I haven't looked for it anywhere else. And being yeah. a Southerner, yeah. I didn't grow up with that, but I'm I sure. thought it was delicious. I'm glad you enjoyed it. I did. There you go. <laughs> <laughs> Well, Jean, it sounds like you're going to have plenty to do and yeah. plenty of fun doing it. I hope so. so. Um, <laughs> why do it if you're not having fun? Yeah. This is true. And thank you for taking time to talk to us. Uh, and congratulations on such a, a great career and oh. winding it up so successfully. And hopefully you will not be a stranger at WDAV in the future. I absolutely will not be a stranger. And I want to thank you very much. I've enjoyed this. And uh, I certainly appreciate the radio station. We have it on in the car and in the house all the time. We're happy to support the radio station. You uh, certainly provide a very valuable resource for everyone in the area, and we appreciate it very much. Well, thank you. Thank you so much. Absolutely.